The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Did I get that one right for a change? That's amazing. Uh, thanks for making it easy today. That's a good one to remember. Thank you, Meg, as you do. Well, I invite your attention this morning, if you have your Bible, uh, to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7, this morning. As we close out the first half of the book of Mark, we've been in just about uh, uh, 16, 17 months since early 2017. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we uh, would allow you to use our Pew Bibles, page 866. Uh, big numbers are the chapter numbers, chapter 7. Small numbers are the verse numbers, verse 31, page 866. Well, I do want to say, Leon, I le he left the front row from me, but wherever Leon went, uh, thank you for loving on Leon this morning. I, t I gave him a hard time in a good way, and uh, at, at a good age, Leon got up here and he read the scripture. That's not, that seems so easy, doesn't it? You just walk up and read out of the mic. It's, it's daunting. And Leon did it like a champ. Brother, thank you for blessing us with the reading of your word, God's word to us, and thank you for sh to, to share that as well. Well, before we get started, I, I just want to say that uh, if you're visiting with us or if you're regular, that uh, we are committed to teaching and preaching God's word, aren't we? That's what we're here to do. And we turn through the next section as God speaks. And I don't want to begin today by doing anything other uh, you know, I don't want to whip out my phone and say, hey, you know, go to social media. What's really hot today on Facebook? Or, or I heard this song today on my way in and it spoke to my heart. So many things we do in the pulpits today are without God's warrant, without God's words. 
You know, some people say, as I was getting dressed, I heard a voice in the bedroom, and I wrote it down on my socks because God gave it to me, and I'm going to preach to from my socks. I mean, it literally happens sometimes. But in the Bible, we have the, the faith, Jude tells us, once for all delivered to the saints. And Paul tells us to preach the word, to explain it, to apply it, and to stay in the word. And friends, I pray that's what we do. We want a place to be where we are growing among family in our faith. But that says something about you this morning, perhaps, visiting or regular, that you have a passion for spiritual things. You're here on a beautiful Sunday morning. You could be doing a lot of other things, playing golf, running a marathon, fishing, you fill in the blank. But you have eyes to see and ears to hear, and you come for the Word of God, and more disappointed you would be if you left today, I hope, by not hearing the Word of God. And I pray that as we do this, that I trust there's a washing of your mind this morning with the Word of God. I pray that all that I can do as a messenger is give it to you, but the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit can only do, renews your mind within the Word today. And, and it sounds funny, because as a young man, and at the, probably the height of my strength in life, and vitality in that physical sense, I am totally dependent on the Holy Spirit up here today. Without the Spirit moving upon your hearts, these are just words that fall upon deaf ears, saved as we may be. So I don't have any jokes today. No video clips to be showed on the sidewalls or in front of you. No movies, no drama, no nine steps to a better life. We just have the unadulterated Word of God this morning. I pray that's enough. Because down through the centuries, those who are sheep come for the feeding. And those who belong to the Lord have a great appetite for the things of the Lord. And that's amazing because I can only bring this to your ears. I can only bring this to your eyes. But God must be the one to open this up for you. And whether I raise my voice or lower it, whether I speak slowly, I know that never happens. Trust me. Amen. Three years, you've learned how to listen quickly, I hope. But I am totally dependent, as is anyone who steps in this pulpit, upon the Holy Spirit. I have studied, you have, you've prayed for that study, but I pray that your door is open as it comes. Because it's interesting, he told us to go out to the highways and the byways, and we often forget to do that because we forget to renew our minds in the Word to know what our mission is, and that is to see lost people come to Christ. So all that intro to say, are you ready to get started this morning? Amen. Let's get to it. Well, it is not going to be this, and some of you all know this story in this movie. I'm not even going there, but I want to speak for a moment about the miracles of Jesus Christ. Many of you know this miracle Andy will put up. The 1981, was that what it was? The, the hockey team that beat the Russians, that seems like a lifetime ago. That was before I was born, so I'll let that be what it is. But the miracles of Jesus. We're going to see another miracle today. Jesus is working miracles left and right and this raises the entire discussion of whether miracles are connected to your faith. Is it possible for someone to believe the Bible but not believe the miracles of Jesus actually are what they are intended to be? There are people that believe that you can do both. But friends, if you believe God exists, then you must believe miracles are possible and they are plausible. If you believe in God as 90% Americans believe, whatever God that is, then you believe in the supernatural. And if you believe in the supernatural, then you must believe in miracles. If Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be God in human flesh, and he is, would expect him to perform a miracle because God is supernatural and he's ordered all things after his sovereignty. But belief in miracles are absolutely fundamental, fundamental rather, to biblical Christianity. 
To not believe in the miracles is to reject Jesus. To reject Jesus is to reject the Bible. To reject the Bible, you better go stand in another line. Because here's the point of it. There are two miracles of supreme importance the Bible defines as being important. Do you know what they are? First, the virgin birth. Second, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you deny either one of these, you cannot be considered a Christian. Wow. That is, that's straight from the Scriptures. That is from 1 Corinthians 15. That's from Galatians 4. You name it. Because entrance into the kingdom of heaven necessitates the point that you believe that Jesus says who He is. To reject the miracles is to reject Jesus Christ. To reject Christianity is to reject eternal life and reject salvation. But to receive Christ, as this man we will see in Mark 7 does, is to receive the totality of all that He is and all that He said He was going to do. He is the Savior, the only Savior that comes to be. It's a reminder for us from Psalm 77, as you'll see on the screen, that it says, You are God who works wonders. You are the God who performs miracles. But we've kind of cheapened miracles today, haven't we? Miracles are, the royals won a game, praise the Lord, it's a miracle, amen? <laughs> and that's sometimes how we see it. But there are four basic reasons, and, and this intro is going to be a little bit longer because it's going to frame our discussion today. I, these are not on the screen, but if you are writing these down, I'll try and go slow. There are four basic reasons that the miracles that Jesus did, he did not out of personal convenience, but he did to show these four points. Number one, Jesus did miracles to show, to authenticate that he is the Son of God. He is the only one who could do these things. No human could do it. Every miracle was a documentation and authentication that he is God come down to us. Secondly, the miracles of Jesus, like we'll see again today, demonstrate that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. In the Old Testament, the prophecies that the Messiah would come in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 35 says that, that God opens the ears and, and allows the dumb to speak. And as we see time and time again, it is the fact that only Jesus can do these very miracles. Number three is that it shows the compassion of Christ to those who suffered. You ever thought about that? I mean, if Jesus really was able to do all these miracles, why didn't he just heal everyone? I've said this before, that that's why your TV faith healer preachers are really bunk, because if they could heal as they say they could heal, why don't they walk into Children's Mercy and help those NICU babies who've been on machines for the last six months? Is God able to heal? Yes. But God is able to heal so far as His will has, but through the miracles... Jesus reached out and cared for those who were hard-pressed in every way, and he met them at the point of their need. So miracles authenticate Jesus. They prove he's the Old Testament Messiah. They show his compassion to those who suffer. And this is important for us, number four. They reveal the power of God unto salvation. What Jesus did in the physical realm is a picture of what he would do in the spiritual realm. You ever think about Lazarus, for instance? Jesus took a dead man and made him live again. Every miracle is a microcosm to what he does in the soul. Today, Jesus is going to open deaf ears. Today, Jesus is going to open a tongue that cannot speak. And as a father of one who has special needs, I can tell you, and many of you have special needs, family or friends, you look at this story and you see the amazing compassion through the miracles of Jesus. 37 separate miracles that Jesus did that are recorded, but probably hundreds more we don't know about. 
So friends, Jesus performs all these miracles, but the question is, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that God still operates miracles today? And if so, what are we to learn from them? And here's the big idea that I want you to see today. Jesus does all things well, forgive me for this, because you and I don't. Amen? And after all these things, after all these things that he does, the people look at Jesus and say, he does all things well, as you'll see on the next slide. The throne of heaven isn't a two-seater. It's already occupied, and it's occupied by the God who says, he does all things well. There are three things, and Andy will put these up on the screen, that you'll see this morning I want you to see. Because Jesus does all things well, and you don't, you need to understand three things. You need to understand the concern Jesus has for you. You need to understand and experience the compassion He has for you, and finally obey the command of transfer, not transportation, but transformation He has for you. Remember, Jesus is walking in Gentile territory, isn't He? He's around people who are seeing what He's doing. Last week, He called the lady a dog. Do you remember that story? But how did she respond? She responded with such firm faith, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Today, a man we're going to look at, his friends brought him to Jesus. Haven't we seen that a lot already? Friends, let's stand up as we read God's Word, if you're able to, this morning, as we finish out our chapter study of chapter 7. I want to remind you that as we go through this, this is another miracle of Jesus that he does. And this is the only time in the Gospels this miracle is recorded. In Matthew 15, we see the scene of all the people, but Mark zeroes in especially on this miracle, and we'll get into that as we do. Mark chapter eight, verse 30, chapter 7, verse 31. Then it says, he, Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon, or Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they, those are the, the, the friends of this man, brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spinning, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he signed and said to him, Ephrapha, that is, be opened. And his eyes and his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What a God we serve. Let's pray as we go before our Lord this morning. Fathers, we start a longer-than-usual intro just to remind ourselves of these truths. Lord, may, may what we do here today bring you glory. Father, we are praying that, first off, for, for anyone in here who does not know Jesus, that you would open their eyes, and Father, you'd open their ears and their hearts and their mouths to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, but that's only through repentance and faith alone. Father, for those of us who know Christ, may we see a greater, more accurate picture of your work, not only some 2,000 years ago, but how you are working today and continue to work both spiritually and physically in the lives of people. Father, it's a miracle we are here today by grace, through faith, to have salvation in Jesus' name alone. 
Father, be with those in, this, in our church today who are, who are fearful, who need compassion, who need all the needs that need to be met. Father, may this sermon, not because of my words, but through your Spirit, bring comfort, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, to the hearts of those who need it. Father, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you. Well, as we come to this time, I, I, it, it's just very striking to me. I just want to remind you this morning that as we go through this, that Mark is writing to a Gentile audience. He's writing to an audience that is not from his background. Remember, Matthew and, and, and Luke are writing primarily probably to more uh, Jewish, especially Matthew. John's writing to everyone. But Mark zeroes in on the Gentiles. So when, as he goes through this, he's going to be giving us a picture of what it looks like to come to know Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I want to remind you that this is the gospel that you are seeing. Yes, a man was healed, but more so, it's pointing to a greater spiritual reality. So number one, because Jesus all, does all things well, we don't. We need to understand the concern Jesus has for us. Uh, if you'll recall, Jesus has spent the last year and a half in the region of Galilee. That's where he spent most of his ministry. But now the, the water's boiling, and I don't know who said it, but if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, Jesus can stand the heat, but he decides not to go into the kitchen. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he's doing. Our Lord withdrew, it says in 724 of the same chapter. And now he's going to withdraw for about six months. He's going to let things simmer down a little bit, as my grandma would say, and let things go back to normal. But he withdrew, and now he's going along, as he did last week, along the Mediterranean coast, if you, if you know that map. He's going to hug the shoreline and go north again to Gentile territory. And he goes about 20 miles to the north, and he does so discreetly. And then he heads east. It's like, it's like playing that game of cat and mouse you did as kids. He's kind of going here and there and a little bit everywhere. But as he does that, it, it, it's almost like going from Seattle to Boston. Uh, it's going up the West Coast, and then, oh, we're going to take a cross-country flight over here. And friends, this is a great reminder to us, that this little insignificant details, that there is a time to advance, and there is a time to withdraw in how God has you in your life. There are some times God's going to call you to full frontal ministry. Get out there, get in the midst of it, and there's other times He's going to call you to withdraw. And He's turning His attention now, Jesus is, away from the Jews to the Gentiles. And the gospel is going to be shared with them. You notice that word there in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 31, that says he, he went to the Decapolis. That sounds like a great uh, city name, and it is. It means ten cities. He was literally going to ten cities where they had made Greek culture the biggest thing. They wanted to bring their culture from Greece over as they conquered the land, and they made ten cities to keep that alive. And he's going around the horn. I mean, can you imagine this for a second, how tired you would be? The, the distance isn't the same, but imagine you went from Kansas City to L.A., so central all the way to the west coast, to Seattle up north, and then to Minneapolis, and then to Boston, and then to Miami. I'm tired just thinking about it, aren't you? He's gone all around the horn, but there's intentionality here. He's intentionally avoiding preaching the gospel where his time has not yet come. And if he goes to Galilee right now, he'll be executed on the spot. They'll take him away, and they'll just do the deed. And there's an appointed time and an appointed hour, so with wisdom he withdraws, Jesus does, for about six months or so. 
And as Andy will put up on the screen, as you see, uh, Jesus, Jesus not only loves you, and He will get great lengths to intervene in your life. Aren't you grateful for that? Don't you remind yourself of Psalm 139 where there is nowhere you can go that God cannot find you. There's nowhere you can go that you can run away from His presence. And that's why we also must consider when we feel alone, there are always those who God is using to bring us to Him, as Andy will put up. See, these people recognize as they see Jesus that this is their once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, some of you all have met celebrities before, right? And so, and maybe even before Facebook days, if you had the chance to run up and meet a celebrity, some of you all would just pass out on the spot. But a lot of you all would stand up confidently and say, hey, take my picture, whoever. I don't even know who's popular these days. I went to the gas station, at the Dino gas station, Sinclair, and it has like the top movie, the top sand. I don't know who those people are anymore. We got Barney and all sorts of things at home. That's our top singer. So it is what it is. But if you met someone famous, you would look at them and say, wow. And these people are at that moment. They're among the masses. And out of this little mass comes this small group of people. And it says, and they brought to him. They brought they. We don't know how many, but they brought to him someone with death and with difficulty of speech. And those who brought him were out of the crowd. They were concerned friends because they had someone who had a double handicapped. And in Mark 2, it reminds you, doesn't it, of those men who tore open the roof and went down into to get their friend out. Friends, what a reminder for us this morning that the greatest thing we can ever do for anyone else is to bring them to Jesus Christ. Not more religion, not more church, the greatest thing you can do for your family, your coworker, or your loved one is to bring them to Jesus. Matthew gives us some background here. It says, having gone up to the mountain, that there were large crowds, and the lame, and the crippled, and the blind, and the mute were laid at his feet. But Mark wants you to see the rifle shot. Matthew gives you the shotgun. And he says this man was deaf, total inability to hear, total inability to speak correctly. There's nothing this man can do. There's nothing these friends can do. There's nothing the world can do. And so do you see what they did? They not only bring him to Jesus, but look at their response, verse 32. It says, and they brought a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him. They implored him. They laid their hands on him. They have seen Jesus with a prior trip or some point heal, and now they want Jesus to do the same for their friend. Jesus didn't have to do it this way. I mean, last week, didn't he just give the word to the lady and she was her, her daughter, who's demon-possessed, was healed? But Jesus doesn't have to be on site to perform the miracle. But as we will see, his understanding of these people is amazing. So they call out to him. They beseech him. They plead with him. Heal him. Heal him. This man's probably an adult. He's been afflicted all his life. And friends, that's where you need to see yourself. You need to be so desperate for whatever request you bring before God that you need to see yourself there. You need to see yourself picking one or two people in your life who do not know Jesus, and you need to take them before the throne of grace and cry out for them. God, my neighbor, Mike, does not know Jesus. Would you use me to share the gospel with him? God, my coworker Joe Bob, does not know Jesus. Would you help him to come to know Jesus? 
And we need to be continually crying out and bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I kid you not, we plan these sermons almost a year in advance with some minor modifications and did not plan it this way at all. As we have talked about evangelism the last couple weeks in our church, as John's going to preach on it next week, isn't it providential that God brings these texts to our minds? Every text we have preached at in the last six months, God has seemingly been meeting a need in our church or an issue in our church or a thing in our church, and He keeps providing over and over. But you see three things here, subpoints that will not be on the screen, but three quick things that Jesus does through these men do. They have priority when they bring this guy to Jesus. Far more important than a ride to a game, they bring him to Jesus Christ. Far more important than a ride to work, they show him the way to heaven. They also have a partnership. Notice how they work together. They weren't lone. One guy's like, I'm going to carry an arm, or no, I got the leg, I got him. You know, firemen's carry. They do this together. And that's a picture of evangelism in the local church. You are blessing our family to be full time at this church, and what a blessing that is. Thank you for the opportunity. But evangelism does not fall squarely on my shoulders, does it? Evangelism is everyone in this room, not just the paid staff the lay people, the members of the church who go out together and serve together. So there's a priority. There's a partnership. And notice the pleading. Friend, when is the last time that you pled before God and begged Him to save one of your lost friends? Not just a one-off prayer. You know, Lord, uh, you know, Jimmy doesn't know or, or, or Bobby doesn't know. Uh, Jesus, would you save him? But really labored in prayer. I read on a Twitter, uh, a good friend of mine uh, uh, in uh, Virginia, uh, her parents just came to know Jesus Christ. She had prayed every day for 40 years that they would come to know Jesus. 75 and 77, just got baptized last week at a Baptist church out in Virginia. Never doubt what God can do. And these men were wrestling with God in prayer, and they, uh, Jesus understood what they were doing, and He's going to answer that prayer but why, do, why does Jesus do all things well? Because, friend, He knows that you are incapable in your own strength. You can't save them. You can point them to Jesus. You can pray for them. You can't, pers- uh, you can't uh, make them a Christian. We tried that in the Crusades and the Inquisition, guys, and it never worked. The only way someone comes to Christ is when regular Joe people like ourselves go before God and say, this is a priority. People are dying. They're going to hell. And, and, and we've got to do this together. What are we going to do together? We're going to plead for them and share the gospel with them. That's what it's all about. And church, if we ever get off that path, we are not in a path God wants us to be. I would rather that our calendar as a church goes away if we were all out sharing the gospel in whatever context it is. We, I, look, we can come together once a week, and that's great. If we cut every program, that's not what I'm saying we're doing. Please hear me clearly. But if everything else goes away so it frees you up to go share the gospel a little bit more, praise God for that. Well, what about discipleship? I would say, absolutely. We need to study. We need to pray. But friends, if calendars, your personal calendar, our church calendar, your work calendar, you've got to work. But are you asking God, whatever calendar you have in me this week, Lord, who is it that needs to hear the gospel? You'll be amazed at what God brings to your life. You will be absolutely amazed. And I'm not going to say the name. The person would, would beat me over the head after this, but one of y'all emailed me this week that you prayed for that opportunity this week at work and got to share the gospel with a coworker. What an awesome thing. And the email said, and it made me feel a little bit weird, but in a good way. 
Amen? And that's what it is. But these people come. And if you're not a Christian here today, how does that sound to you? A bunch of Baptist people going around talking about Jesus. That sounds a little funny, doesn't it? I'll be honest. But now is the open enrollment to the kingdom of God. If you're not a Christian here today, that does sound funny. It sounds like we're a cult or something. I promise you we're not. We don't have any Kool-Aid. We have some punch afterwards, but it's clean, let me tell you. It's good. But one thing you need to know is that Jesus only spent, if you're not a Christian here today, a short time in Gentile country, and then he was gone. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're not a Christian here today, Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins. Notice, secondly, Jesus does all things well. We don't because he understands the, the concern Jesus has for you. But notice, secondly, notice, secondly, in verses 32 to 35, the experience that Jesus' compassion has for us. Notice this and what he does. Now, this episode is weird. Some of y'all were, I, I, let's be honest, you did what I probably did in Bible study this week. He's putting his fingers in his ears and he's spitting and putting it. Yeah, that's just weird, man. If the, if the health department saw this, he would be kicked out and violated right away. That's not what's going on here. Jesus now is responding in a way that is different than anything we're ever going to read about. So first off, I want you to see that, as Andy will put up here, Jesus Christ understands us when no one else does, and Christ has compassion on us individually. I love this. Jesus is going to respond in quite a way. Look back at verse 33 here as he says, So, and taking him aside. So Jesus taking the deaf and mute man aside from the crowd, my uh, ESC says privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. Let's just say from the outset here that the Lord always chooses the manner in which he works. The Corinthians says we need to do all things with order, but I want to remind you, friend, that your testimony is not boring. If we were to go around the room today and ask, how did you come to Jesus? How did you come to Jesus? How did you come to Jesus? Some of y'all were in prison, maybe, whether physically or spiritually. Some of y'all came up from the best Christian homes that could ever come, and you got saved. Some of you, it was through a gospel track. I'm going to pick on Nathaniel, who's preaching at another church this morning. Nathaniel got saved by reading those Left Behind series books many of y'all have read through the years. There are so many ways. If you grew up in a good Christian home and you went to church, your testimony is not boring because the same God who said, let there be light, has opened up your heart to believe that ain't boring, guys. That is supernatural. Your testimony. Some of you have come through near death. Some of you got through a track. Other words, in Christians' homes. The way God saved you is not always going to be normal. That's why just knocking on doors, as we do a lot in this neighborhood, is not the only way to share the gospel. That's why events are not the only way to share. There's so many ways, but God does a certain way here. I want to show this to you in six quick steps. Jesus always meets us where we are, as Andy will put up there. Notice first off that there in verse 33 that Jesus withdrew the man. He is making him feel important. All the Lord's attention is on this man. He is being sensitive to the needs of the social awkwardness. You know, we pray for Simeon, and you all love our family so well, but just as he gets in the school setting, private or otherwise, just that he's a little development delayed and all these things, just, just what is that going to do for him socially? And Jesus, understanding that, takes this man and says, you're important to me. You are fixed on my, my gaze is fixed on you. You matter to me. And that is an awesome reminder of us that we are created in the image of God individually. It's not what the magazine tells you are. It's not what social media gripes about you. It is what Christ says about you that matters most. 
you notice there, he puts, number two, he withdraws, but secondly, he puts his ears, he touches them. He puts his fingers in his ears. Now, some of y'all did that with your parents, and you maybe still do that to your boss. I don't know. But you do this. Why? Don't do that as you share the gospel, please. If you go out to your coworker this week, say, hey, let me share the gospel with you. Let me plug yours. Don't do that. That's not, it's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive here. But it speaks to the sensitivity of Christ. He's putting his ears as a way to show that he understands he cannot hear. His touch of compassion says, I know where you are, I know where your need is, and I'm involved with you. But thirdly, he has another touch. I'm not going to spit, but he spits on the, he spits and he touches his tongue with the saliva. I'm sorry, I'm a 21st century American, guys. I carry Germex everywhere I go. That's, that's gross. I mean, be honest, isn't that a little gross? Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, if I'm a disciple sitting there, I'm saying, Jesus, are you crazy? This is unclean. You just told us about all these unclean things, and here it is. But he does this with a wet finger. He reaches into his mouth, and with his spit and on his tongue, it's another intentional touch. It's another way for Jesus to say, I get what you're going through. I understand. He shows him his need. And then look at verse 34. It says, and, 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 and looking up to heaven. That's a very common first century Jewish thing to do. But he looks up to heaven, number four. He shows the man that the source of his help will not come from the crowd. It will come from the heavenly Father as, as he works through Jesus Christ. And Jesus must communicate nonverbally, and the man would understand that. Number five, there's a deep sigh. Look what Jesus does here. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. What does this mean? I think it means that Jesus was sympathizing with the man. He understood that he was going through something that no one else understood but himself. And the sorrows were becoming Jesus's, this man's. And number six, finally, there's a command, and I love this. He says, Ephatha. You say that five times fast. It's hard. I practice this week, and I kill it every time. But he says, Be opened. Why is this translated here? Because Mark is writing to a Gentile audience. They would have no idea what that Aramaic word is. He says, be opened. The one who created the tongue in the way that God created this man's tongue is now telling it to be loosed, to be opened up. It's a sovereign order that Christ issues to him. So he touches him twice. He commands him with his eyes. He gives a deep sigh. In all of this, Jesus understands that our experience needs to have compassion. Friend, aren't you grateful our God does that for you today? Aren't you grateful that Hebrews reminds us that our Savior was, was tempted as we are, yet perfectly without sin? What a God we have. What an amazing God that we have. And third and final, you'll see that not only did he, Jesus understand us, he, 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 we need to experience His compassion, but we need to also obey. Notice what happens here. The man gets healed. Look at verse 35. Jesus says this very clearly as we land our last point, and I need to hurry as we do. It says, and, and, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, he said, be open, in verse 35, his ears were open and his tongue was released. Let's start with the ears. Here and other places, this verb is used in the New Testament, but as easily as the Lord God opened the heavens at the baptism of Christ, the man's ears are open just like that. Just as easily the Lord opened this man for the very first time, God opens the hearts of people for the very first time. I mean, have you ever had a non-Christian friend you brought to church before, and the preacher, 
God love us preachers, you know, sometimes we get off track, we're not clear and all those things, but you go and the preacher preaches a very simple gospel message, and you take your, your non-Christian friend home, and, and you say to him, um, what'd you get out of the message? And they tell you exactly what was said. All the facts are there. And you're like, yeah? What do you think about that? Well, he said this, this, and this, yeah? And you're thinking, well, Jesus died for you, Jesus saved you, you're supposed to like repent on your knees, and the light's going to shine from heaven right here, right now. And they just look at you like, what else is there? You ever been there before? It's a reminder to us that it is God's time and when people's hearts are open as He allows them to be opened. As Jesus goes through and heals this man, His ears are opened at the, just the right time. And notice His tongue is loosened. This man had never spoken a day in his life. He'd never gone through the process of saying, Dada or Mama or Mine. There was no hooked-on phonics. There was no clauses or sentences. This man, for all we know, had never spoken for an entire life anything other than gibberish. And if you know someone who's been deaf, they, you know, they, they always speak in a tone and a way that's different than everyone else, don't they? Because they can't hear it. They can speak and learn to speak certain phrases, but in a split second, he stands to speak as if he were a gifted orator. Notice what it says, guys. This is awesome. And he spoke plainly. He didn't have to go to therapy. He didn't go to a special doctor. Jesus just did it. Jesus brought heaven down to him. I love that. And that is the case of everyone, spiritually speaking. You see anyone in the Gospels that's ever been saved, they go out and they don't know the half about theology. They're just like the man in John 9 who says, I don't know what happened to me. You can question me all day. I've already told you. All I know is I was once blind, but now I see. This man is a picture of a new Christian that comes to be. But then Jesus does the weird thing. Come on, I've talked to some of you about this this week. Why in the world? Jesus, you just did this amazing miracle. Notice what Jesus tells him to do. He tells him to hush up. Verse 36, and Jesus told them not to tell anyone. But what did they do? They went around. He's doing miracles and miracles and miracles. And the more they ordered him, the more they talked about it. Now, that sounds great, right? Because you know as well as I do, good PR is this. If you like something, you're going to go tell five people about it. No, that's not how it works. If in America, if you don't like something, you're going to go tell 20 people about it, post it on Google reviews, Facebook, Yelp, and everything else. But something good happens here. Jesus has a chance to be a PR nut, and all of a sudden, he says, hush. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. The same God who just gave a command to open up this man's ears and his mouth has now given them a command to be quiet about what they do. And from an American standpoint, we would think, well, good PR, any PR is good PR, right? That's good. But they are actually disobeying the very command of Jesus that he just told them to do. The more they tell people, the more they send. What? Yes. Guys, Jesus' time had not yet come. Jesus' time had not yet come, yet they are going and doing the very thing He told them not to do. Disciples take a long time to be discipled sometimes. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Jesus, wouldn't you want people to know what you did? I mean, really? Wouldn't you go ye therefore into all the world and tell the gospel to all the people, preach the gospel to every creature? Yeah. But in this moment, in this time, God said to keep it quiet. But even in their enthusiasm, they were sinning. There's a lot of application that comes out of that, but go ahead and put that up if you will, Andy. Martin Luther said, God likes to work miracles and to make the fool, to make the world. 
to make a fool of the world. Jesus wanted them to see not only were they disobeying him, but they wanted them to do the exact thing that the woman last week did and just simply say, yes, Lord, that's good enough for me. Friends, God likes to work miracles and make a fool of the world because he realizes that we need to obey whatever he tells us to do. There are times as you share the gospel that God will call you not to share the gospel in a certain situation. That sounds funny, but there are times that God has not led you to share the gospel, that you're forcing the gospel into family and friends and situations that are, gonna, that, that are not the place you need to be. Does that make sense? There are times that when God says share the gospel, the best thing you can do is just le- go as he leads and not force your way into it. Some of y'all love details, and you love details. That's why you're Facebook stalkers. That's what that's called, right? But what it is is sometimes we need to pray, God, give me the best time to share. Father, we it's a day for now, but Lord, don't let me just pass the thought. Let me be intentional, but Lord, let your time be my time. Let not my words try and persuade them. Let the words that you give me, your scripture, as you do it, Lord, in the time and the place and the realm, as you do. I'll close with this, and I said that at the last point. I'll only give some application to this. Five quick points, and they will be quick. This story says something about five things. Andy will put these up. Friends, this says something about Jesus himself. That this Jesus is the Son of God. Even today, with all the technology that we have, we are still trying to figure out how in the world something like this could happen. There are therapies to help. There are great things to help. But to be completely free of both testifies that he is who he claimed to be. But he's not just some Messiah that is up on his throne governing the world as he is, but this God really does care for us. Cast all your cares on him, Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 7, because he cares for you. Friends, never forget that. Don't let our theology be so high, and it should be because the Bible is so high on theology that we forget that the same God who orders all things, who sovereignly creates and chooses all things is the same God who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is our God. He's sympathetic. He's compassionate. He's so fully and completely devoted to us. You are not just a number here on this earth. Oh, how I love the DMV. Amen. Do you have a faster one, please? Come and find me. Our vehicles are up for registration. I hate sitting in line at the DMV. hate it. I'd pay money to go through it faster if I could, and I had the money to do it. Wouldn't you? Number 575. Oh, man, I'm 650. I got 75 more ahead of me. But I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't have a number system, that at the same time you're praying for your friend to be saved, the mom who can't figure out what's going on in their home can pray, and God can hear that same prayer. What an amazing thing this is. Every time you pray to him, God takes his undivided attention, pulls you away from the crowd like this man, and says, here I am. What need do you have? What an awesome God. He knows what you're going to say before you say it, but he provides the answer in his will and his time as he does. Secondly, this says something about sinners. This says something about sinners. This is what some are here today, unable to hear the truth, not audibly. Isn't that what Jesus said? He, the parents' favorite verse, he who has ears, let him hear. Every kid will say amen to that. But this is an internal, a spiritual, spiritual inaudible voice that is far louder than a voice a human could carry. It's the spoken word of God. When God calls a sinner, 
John 8, 47 says, He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you don't hear them because you are not of God. It's an encouragement to us to keep on witnessing and keep on praying and keep on reaching those who are spiritually dead. They can't hear what you're saying, spiritually speaking. But by God's grace, as we pray, as we plead, as we prioritize, God will open their hearts as He wills. Third, it speaks to the new birth. This is the miracle of regeneration. Dave, I don't know where you're at back here. I lost you somewhere. It's what Brother Dave preached on about a month ago, about a mark of a healthy church is, is regeneration, is conversion. Understanding that just because someone walks down an aisle and prays a prayer does not make them any more than a Christian, than a car sitting, or, uh, yeah, a car sitting in a garage makes it a garage, or however that phrase works out. You know what I'm trying to say. Friends, you can do a lot of spiritual gymnastics and know nothing about Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? What this speaks of is that in the moment God opens a heart, there is going to be a change. There is a change. That's why it is like that old story, that old illustration about uh, I did not grow up on a farm, but I grew up in a a town that had lots of farmers. If you put a, a, a bucket of slop up here, you know, that's what pigs eat, right? And you put a bucket of the best barbecue, that's a jack stack, by the way, in Kansas City, and you put it right up here. And you told the pig, and you released that pig, where is that pig going to go? It's going to go to the slop, because that's what pigs eat. But if we had the power, and I can't snap my fingers, I really can't. If I could snap my fingers and make a noise and turn that pig into a man, and that man turns in and looks around, and he looks around, and he's covered in slop. What's he going to feel like? He's going to feel ashamed, isn't he? He's going to feel ashamed. What am I, a man, doing eating the pig slop like the prodigal son? But when God changes a person, that person turns away from the slop of the world. Okay, Jack Sack's not heavenly, but it's pretty close. And it goes over here. Do you see that difference? This speaks of how sinners are saved. We are not saving sinners by praying them into the kingdom of heaven. By, 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 let me say that clearly. Sinners are not saved simply by repeating a prayer, being baptized, going to church. Sinners are saved when God radically opens their heart to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a huge difference. How do you know if someone's saved? Their life will speak to it. You're not saved by what you do, but what you do surely and sorely shows whether you are saved. And God must open the ears spiritually, the heart spiritually, and the mind all by His grace. This says something about the tongue. Number four, the ears must be open and the truth received, but all sinners everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's get our theology right. Has God chosen some to be saved? Yes. God knows those who are His. That's the Baptist faith and message under election. You can look all that up. But they cannot worship God until God has opened their ears, changed their heart, and now they proclaim the excellencies of God. That's why someone can give lip service to Jesus for years, be on the rolls as a church member for years, and never really know Jesus Christ. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And finally, let me close as I am over time today, and I appreciate your grace. This speaks to struggling Christians today. Christian, let me just remind you, in Christ, God not only loves you, He likes you. And that sounds like such a, really, kind of trite, kind of whatever. But we are the objects of His affection. There's not just God up here doing His God thing, and you're down here doing your thing. 
this story shows us that God really does love you, that God's grace really has saved you if you were saved here today, and that in this and much more, He truly does all things well. What a God we serve. If you're not a Christian here today, I pray that your heart is open to believe that Jesus died, He took your wrath, He, he was buried, and he, he rose again literally from the grave, because without that, you deserve the worst. But at the cross, God gave you His life. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we come before and get ready to close out our service this morning, we want to thank you, Lord, that, that your grace is enough for us. Thank you for these, these miracles. Thank you for the physical reality of how you, you touched people so many years ago. What a, what a praise that would have been. But at the same time, Lord, we pray as the spiritual significance carries over, especially to our day today, that you open hearts of those around us, that as we are faithful to go and share, that you are, Father, as we claim the promise in a biblical sense, that you are faithful to open the eyes spiritually, the ears spiritually, and the heart spiritually. Father, we pray for Grace more across the way. We pray for Maple Park in our area. We pray for Brother Luke Weir, one of our missionaries out in Poland. Father, we pray for, for Doug and, and disaster relief. Father, for the Awana that happens here, Lord, for, for youth, for, for, for adults, for kids, for, for so many arms that reach out, for benevolence. Father, for our busy hands, quilting ladies who serve in so many ways. There's so much more service here than even this prayer has time. You know, Lord. But as we do all things, Lord, may our gospel be clear. May our lips proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Father, be with those in this room struggling to see that today as they see people not coming to Christ or praying for the same person ever and ever. Father, we commit that to you. As these men did, may you be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.